Uh, John Ford had definitely had something to say about white collar crime in this movie. <laughs> in 1939, <laughs> uh, in the middle of the depression. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how that holds up very well. <laughs> Welcome to an episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and the stories within them. And it's a new month, so it's a new genre. And this month, I believe we're tackling the biggest genre we have probably ever tackled. <laughs> uh, it is a massive genre that has ran for over 100 years. It has, since, has been involved in cinema since, I guess, the, the dawn of cinema. It's the first kind of feature essentially our first kind of films the narratives that were occurring in the 1900s um we're talking about westerns and westerns is a genre the western genre is a genre that has evolved so much over time and we have gone through different periods of it and it's a genre that i believe has been called dead several times <laughs> during its lifetime um so so thomas let's talk about this genre before we get into today's movie so what do you think of when you think of the western genre uh oh man that's that's a big <laughs> that's a big question uh it's it's one of those like you said it's it's been around for so many years and, and every time somebody declares it dead like something pops up again and and changes yeah. it and it's it's one of those i think it's it's a great example that when, when people talk about you know superhero cinema right now and they're like eventually it'll go yeah. the way of the the western it's like yeah. well we you know we still get every couple of years we still get a great western so maybe yeah. it won't be as pervasive but you know thinking back on when it was the movies and then all, like for a while there in the 60s and 70s like yeah. every tv show almost was a western it, yeah. it is it is pervasive and it's just you know a, a purely american genre and then it became not a purely american genre and then it yeah and then it became influenced by japanese cinema and then it became influenced yeah. by italian yeah. cinema so it's, it's such an interesting uh genre for filmmakers to leave their stamp on and i think it's i think it's definitely a genre that gets oversimplified by yeah. by people it's it's one of those things i think john ford has been oversimplified in his views that he puts through in his films, which we can talk through today. It's kind of like yeah, Frank yeah. Capra. You think back and you're like, Oh, he's just, you know, red blooded American filmmaking. And you go back and watch something. And you're like, Oh, he had some interesting stuff to say about American society yeah. for sure. Oh yeah. I think it's, there's, there's a lot of not good Westerns out there, which, you know, it's, <laughs> it's one of those, those, when you get a genre that is this, insanely yeah. popular as it was you're gonna see some 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 duds there's a television yeah. station that's on uh like broadcast so if you plug an antenna into your tv there's a station called grit that's that's broadcast <laughs> out there and it's only cowboy movies all the time uh -huh. and I've, I've spent some time just sitting and watching grit and it's so it's one of those genres that is not a sure thing it's never a sure yeah. thing but there are some yeah. really 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 great movies within it so I'm, yeah. I'm excited to kind of dig into it we're gonna look at the different decades kind of different periods of the genre and see how it's changed and i think it's going to be a very cool month yeah different eras we've had because like, it's interesting when looking at this time because like when you go if you go to our our letterbox the Cination podcast letterbox like we have four different letterbox lists <laughs> and probably about to add a fifth of specific genres within the western genre 
Um, it, it's very dynamic. It's very diverse, I guess, in, in terms of the years of when it was occurred. Um, but yeah, it's it's a genre that has evolved so much, but also has very clear, uh, kind of very clear moments. Mm-hmm. Like with, it's like when looking at the genre as a whole, you begin to see like the transition from one era to a new era. And then just one movie kind of comes out and bam, this is in, you're in that new era. Yeah. It's, it's like you look at, we talk about revisionists. We'll get into later this month, but like how, I mean, pretty much from the fifties onward, even though that's considered like kind of golden age of Westerns, we're transitioning to the revisionist Western mm-hmm. already in the fifties with things, <clears throat> with things like Shane, or then getting into the man who shot Liberty Valance, you start high noons as another big one where you're looking at kind of the darker themes of, of the Western, of the, the Western ideals that were occurring at that time. Um, and when talking about today's movie too, we'll, we'll get into today's movie more, but we'll still talk about this genre, but like today's movie during stagecoach and stagecoach pre stagecoach, like by the thirties, they were, Roy Rogers singing cowboys is what Westerns were. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you saw that a lot or their comedies or whatever. They, they weren't really what we became to know and love about uh, 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 Westerns. Um, but yeah, and we've talked about previously when we talked about blazing saddles is the other thing. Blazing saddles is kind of your, um, when we talk about Mel Brooks episode, it's very much kind of your quintessential Western comedy which mm-hmm. became kind of a big thing within certain eras with movies like Cat Baloo or even some of the spaghetti westerns kind of went and delved into comedy, um, like the Trinity movies. But yeah, it's it's always been kind of a evolving genre. And a lot of times, too, this genre is sometimes used to comment on the era of the time. Mm-hmm. If you look at, say, High Noon is the big example of about McCarthyism. And even going in kind of, I think, kind of more modern Westerns as well, you will start to see kind of the political side of it. And that could be about like greed or I think one one things I've uh, read about how like assassination of Jesse James is about celebrity and myth, mm-hmm. which is I think a very, very much part of American culture about our obsession with celebrity. Um, and you see that that's what kind of, I guess, separates the mediocre and OK Westerns and the great Westerns. Um, is they try to use a old story to tell a modern story. Right. Um, and there's, but I think with Westerns too, there's always been the controversy around them. Um, that's when like reading up on like say Blazing Saddles, it was kind of one of the first Westerns to like actually talk about certain historical moments in the Western that was never talked about. And that could be with minority casting or just certain kind of, uh, elements of the era. Um, and so when thinking of Westerns, um, there's a lot of tropes. So what are what are some tropes or like archetypes that you think of within this genre? Well, uh, if we're talking tropes, then you're definitely going to get some bad Native American uh, racist tropes. That's yeah. uh, kind of a staple of the of the genre. Early of the early Westerns. Of the early Western yes. and, and kind yeah. of one of those things where you can see now looking back you can see how much just kind of the the media image of native americans yeah. was shaped by this film genre yeah. um you're you're also going to get there's a very classic breakdown within uh 
film criticism of the idea of the outlaw hero versus the um, lawful hero. And mm-hmm. so a lot of times you have these characters in the West in, in a Western that's going to be two two good guys, basically. And, and we have yeah. it here, although it's not as, we have we'll have it here it's in stagecoach. Yeah, it's a little different. It's not as prominent, but you do have like the sheriff and the Ringo kid. Like, yeah, you've got the the one guy who plays by the rules and the other guy who doesn't. And you're going to find in a lot of Westerns, the only way that they can get the job done is to do it together. And and that's one of one of the many reasons, you know, people will say, oh, Star Wars is a Western. You've got what Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. Um, and so that's that's a that's this kind of duality that that came from the Western, but is has embedded itself so deeply in every yeah. form of storytelling now that, yeah. that it's it's not uncommon to see outside of the Western at this point. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the lone cowboy, and like that—that's literally Mandalorian, mm-hmm. uh, if you want to go to modern storytelling. Um, and yeah, you have things like lone cowboy. You have things like—I mean, today we'll talk about this with in terms of like archetypes. You'll—you have the the prostitute, or they call like off like the hooker with the heart of gold is kind of the the stereotype of that character that pops up in, in Stagecoach, or you have like the 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 town drunk, or you have the this the uh this the gambler mm-hmm. the the kind of mysterious gambler um and you have these the tropes of like again uh stranger in a new town which you with spurs from several of uh uh western films are you have even again we talked about with heist month how the heist genre is kind of a a uh a branch off of the western genre of yeah the bank like robbers tra- bank robbers the train the outlaws the train robberies um, then you have things like the cattle drive. That's a big part of the, we're not talking about any cattle drives. I don't think this month, but the cattle drive is kind of a big part of the genre. You have things like red river that discuss it. And then you have the, the comedy version of it and say city slickers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's very much, or, or, I mean now, now too, with the way this genre is, it's like, we've gone with the, with the, I guess the, the rise of, television and the golden age of television where we're now in this kind of other platinum age or streaming age of television you have a lot of television going towards westerns if it's if it's yellowstone with the kind of the modern neo-western or if it's the the netflix show godless that came out a few years ago mm-hmm. with jeff daniels um western is is kind of either i mean even more recently it's the power of the dog it's like you, you're seeing how it's transitioned over time again evolved um taking some of those tropes uh, like power a dog taking the kind of rough uh ranch hand and m- trying to make a comment on toxic masculinity in a way mm-hmm. yeah. um so you're seeing it but yeah with tv and movies again it was like reading i was reading up on like a, it was a um an article talking about the lone ranger about gorbinski's lone ranger and they're like is this the death kneel for uh the western genre <laughs> and that was 2013 they're like oh, i think this is it i don't know if we're ever going to see another kind of western of this caliber again and i don't know if we have actually but it's not basically they were saying that lone ranger was the last like trying to make a western franchise which is very difficult in modern times yeah but to say it was dead as we as we'll continue to say this this kind of month is that every time you think it's dead something occurs that makes it viable viable again yeah i Um, think netflix at least has put out three uh pretty high profile ones just yeah. in there in their time you know you've got yeah. buster scruggs 
mm-hmm. uh, harder they fall and power the dog. And then, I mean, even go off that, you got Quentin Tarantino with Django and Hateful Eight, and Hateful Eight being kind of turned into like a four-part miniseries yeah. or whatever on Netflix uh, recently. Um, so there is there is still an audience for it, um, and there is still a it, it, people filmmakers continuously show or filmmakers or storytellers continuously show that the western is not only a dead genre but could be a way to tell again i've said before a modern story in a new context um and it kind of show too that we like, like life in general um not everything has changed you can mm-hmm. tell a 1800 story that is is true and authentic that is also relatable to a modern day so that's kind of the little uh beginnings of this genre we're talking about this month and so yeah, so let's dive into today's movie. And today's movie is Stagecoach, directed by John Ford and released in nineteen thirty nine. It's currently streaming on, I believe, HBO Max, yep. Criterion, a lot of different places. I think there are a few other places. Let me see. Yeah. At Amazon Prime, Criterion, HBO Max, Pluto and Tu and Tubi. So guys, you have every chance to watch this movie <laughs> if you have one of those one of those services. Um, so Stagecoach, for those who don't, do not know, it is a American Western, released in 1939, starring uh, Claire Trevor and the top build star, but also John Wayne in kind of his big breakout role um, as, as, a, as Ringo Kid. Uh, and it's about essentially these strangers, these characters, they're taking a stagecoach from Arizona, uh, from, Ta- from Tonto, Arizona territory to Lordsburg, New Mexico, and it's essentially a... An alcoholic doctor played by Thomas Mitchell, um, a pregnant woman played by uh, Louisa uh, Platt, um, a Southern uh, gambler played by John Carradine, uh, a kind of a whiskey salesman that's going, a kind of corrupt, crooked banker, um, and a, a prostitute he is, who's being driven out of town played by Claire Trevor. And then along the way, as they're going to New Mexico, they run to a a outlaw by the name of Ringo Kid, played by John Wayne. And for a lot of the time, kind of coming off this recent contained movie, a lot of the time, it is the it is these characters who are stuck in the sta- stagecoach together, talking and traveling across uh, from state to state. Yeah. Are and getting off the stagecoach and going into a small room yeah. together and then getting back Starting on the, the stagecoach. Yeah. Um, or a, a character gets is having a baby. So it's like, it's very much like, it's it's taking archetypes of the genre mm-hmm. and we'll continue to dive into this more um and begins to kind of reveal them over time so um so that's kind of the movie so thomas what's your history with stagecoach i i watched this one in, in college and undergrad i took a mm-hmm. a western genre class and this was the one we started with uh so it's great that we're we're starting with it this yeah. month as well um, and mm-hmm. I, I had never come across this one. You know, my it, Westerns weren't necessarily something I had sought out uh, in back in my blockbuster by mail days. Uh, <laughs> but but they were definitely ones I, you know, I, I watched them on Turner Classic Movies. I was very familiar yep. with some of the ones that were easier to to see on television. I, I think, you know, we'll be covering Jeremiah Johnson later this month. I feel like that was on TV every weekend. Uh tombstone i watched on tv a good bit so i was i was a fan of the genre but i i wasn't deeply steeped in it and um and so this was the first one we watched and 
and I think it is a great intro to the genre because it was around before this, but this is what really kind of legitimized it. Yes. And and it's it's one of those movies kind of like kind of like Citizen Kane where mm-hmm. sometimes you just have to remind yourself like oh this wasn't a trope yet when they did it in this movie like that's that's what's so impressive about it but i do think it's still it's still very impressive on its own because sometimes with yeah. citizen kane you just have, kind of have to sit there and be like okay that's the first time they ever did this shot that's cool <laughs> um but with this one it is it's every time i come back to it it surprises me that this movie was made in 1939 like the yeah. the things that it's saying about culture and society and and kind of the ways it's skirting the, the Hays Code would have been fairly fresh at this point, right? Yes, yes, yes. Because the Hays Code comes out, I believe, in 34. Yeah. So this is five years into it. So there's there's some things you can see that they, you know, there's some things, no one no one ever says that, that Dallas is a prostitute, but it's extremely obvious. But yeah. then it's also like, I feel like they're not allowed to say pregnant in it. Like, no one ever says the word, yeah. like, pregnant uh, about... Uh, She's expecting or something? Yeah. I don't know, yeah. So it's 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 really impressive how kind of complex and nuanced it is when you think back like oh this was like the first great western it introduced yeah. john wayne it's got him you know you think like oh it's got him jumping from horse to horse on the stagecoach but but yeah at, we'll we'll it that. really functions really really well as a as a drama as a as a yeah. ensemble drama yeah i mean how i kind of label it it's it's there's before stagecoach and after stagecoach mm-hmm. Um, because stagecoach is kind of labeled the first adult western um or the first psychological western is what some will say and and we we might not say it's psychological nowadays but when looking at it it's like it's the first time to actually take characters and try to take archetypes and make them somewhat individuals mm-hmm. in, in in their in their creation um and we'll we'll dive into that more but uh but yeah it's a movie that when you watch it it is so it's weird because for something that's the first kind of true talky Western and it's like, Oh, it's John Wayne's breakout or it's John Ford's kind of big moment. John Wayne had already been in 80 movies up to this point. <laughs> Think about that for a second. He had been in 80 movies up to this point in 1939. He was 32 at this moment in time. Um, Ford don't even start on that man he he had made by end of his career side note john ford made over 140 films wow 140 films picture production reports for that uh thomas <laughs> um like um uh 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 so yeah he he had done so many movies and for some reason it's, it's all building to this moment is the thing with stagecoach um so yeah i've always kind of it's it's one of the ones i've revisited several times i think we talked we did like a back in the day uh when ben was on we did like a american hero mm-hmm. i think genre kind of thing and we talked about stagecoach because john wayne is kind of the and we'll talk we'll talk about kind of i mean we can talk we talk a little bit about the controversy around john wayne because he is a controversial figure uh in cinema and American culture in a way, but also still a beloved character. He's a very, it's a very complex kind of legacy. Um, but he was this, this kind of established him as kind of this one, this kind of first true American hero. It's also kind of insane that John Ford also makes, uh, uh, 
Young Mr. Lincoln the same year, another mm-hmm. with Henry Fonda as kind of American hero. But yeah, it's like this kind of establishes that kind of archetype of the character. It's also a character that John Wayne could almost never live down the rest of his career because he said he always he never considered himself John Wayne. He always considered himself Duke Morrison or Marion Morrison, not John Wayne. That was a completely separate persona, is what he saw it, saw it as. Um, but yeah, I've, like I said, always been a kind of, uh, uh, I've always loved this movie. Um, the stunts are really insane. Even when looking at in, in the modern sense mm-hmm. and the camera angle, like there's camera angles that are just kind of jaw dropping, like the camera going by the, the hooves of the, of the horses when they're running through the, the chase, the, the native American, ch- the Apache chase or whatever. Like there's so many kind of amazing things in this movie, both technically are, and just story wise as well. Um, but we'll get into that as we go. So do you want to hear more about how this movie got made? Absolutely. So before Stagecoach was made, the Western genre had been dominating the cinema since the creation of the medium. Uh, it was a massively popular genre during the silent era in America. But at this point in time in the 30s, Hollywood had moved away from silent film to talkies and the Western genre had fell out of favor with American audiences. These once huge prestige spectacles soon became low-budget B-movies that played mostly for rural and young audiences. The main reason for that is that it was hard to capture sound and dialogue in real locations, so no one had truly mastered the genre, and many of the early great filmmakers quickly left the genre once talkies became a thing. Um, As we said earlier, uh, when studying this genre, I've kind of begun to notice that there tends to be a movie that's released that critics and audiences see as the death knell for the Western genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's no no exception here in the 30s. In 1930, that film was Ryle Walsh's The Big Trail. The failure was seen by many as the end of the Western, but it actually plays a massive role in the later production of Stagecoach. With the addition of sound, director Ryle Walsh was, was hired to create a massive Western epic about a trek along the Oregon, Oregon Trail. For those who don't know Walsh, uh, he would later make such films as The Roaring Twenties, High Sierra, White Heat, so a lot of gangster movies. Walsh intended to shoot The Big Trail on 70mm film, which was kind of unheard of at the time. Uh, One day on the Fox lot, while in the middle of looking for a lead in his large-scale western, Walsh saw a young man moving a heavy piece of furniture around the studio. At the time, the man was working as a prop boy on the lot, but he'd also been working as an actor, mostly as an extra. He recently received his first screen credit a year before as Duke Morrison, but Walsh loved his look so so, that, so much that he cast him as the lead in The Big Trail. But the studio did not like the man's name. Walsh was tasked with finding a new name for the up-and-coming star. He suggested Anthony Wayne, which was the name of the, a famous American Revolutionary War general, <laughs> but the Fox executive deemed that too Italian. What? <laughs> yeah, Anthony Wayne. Uh, Walsh would then suggest the name John, and that's how the name John Wayne was created. Wayne was not even in the room when it was done. So here's your name. <laughs> that's why it's almost like I could see why he d- he never liked, like, he's like, oh, no, I don't really, he goes, I'm not John Wayne. I just know him, is kind of what <laughs> he would say. Um, the Big Trail would be John Wayne's first lead role in a Hollywood movie, and he was only 23 years old. The film, however, would be a massive box office failure. Due to Walsh shooting the film on 70mm, most of the theaters in America could not show the film in its original version, only in like the 
kind of four by three or 35 millimeter. The reason was because the theaters had just updated their facilities to be able to show talkies and they were not willing to spend more money to install bigger screens in the middle of the great depression. Due to the film's failure, John, young John Wayne would lose his momentum as a star and would soon go on to make low budget B movie Westerns or play small supporting roles in other films at the time. During the silent era, however, director John Ford became the most popular director of the Western genre, having directed around 60 Westerns during the silent film era. Wow. 60. Uh, but during the 1930s, Ford chose not to make a Western because of how much they had fallen out of favor with audiences. The last Western he had made was in 1926 with The Three Bad Men. He would later remake that film uh, with John Wayne in the 1940s called The Three Godfathers. Mm. Um, but John Ford would soon become one of Hollywood's top directors during the 30s. In 1935, he released a movie called The Informer, which was about the Irish War of Independence from 1919 to 1921. The film was a critical and commercial success, with many at the time saying it's one of the greatest films ever made. And Ford received first the, the first of his four Oscars for Best Directing. Okay. Due to the success... Due to the success of The Informer and several of his other films in the 30s, Ford essentially was given carte blanche in the industry to make whatever film he wanted. That's how a lot of these stories will start off. Um, in 1937, Ford got his hands on a short story called The Stage to Lordsburg, written by Ernest Haycox, a prolific author in his day that's kind of forgotten nowadays, uh, but he had written hundreds of stories within the Western genre, either as short stories, novellas, or novels. To show you how popular he was at the time, author Ernest Hemingway once said, I read the Saturday Evening Post whenever it had a serial by Ernest Haycox. Mm. So, a pretty big guy at the yeah. time. Haycox's short story, The Stage to Lordsburg, was published in the magazine called Collier's, and John Ford's son Patrick brought the story to Ford, Ford's attention, thinking it could make a good movie. Soon after, Ford purchased the story for $2,500, which is today about $50,000. Um, this is apparently a higher price compared to other stories at the time, which usually sold for $1,000. When talking to the to True West magazine in 2019 regarding the film's 80th uh, anniversary, John Ford's grandson uh, stated that John Ford always preferred to work from shorter projects and expand them rather than working from novels and cut them down. A lot of his movies came from the Saturday Evening Post or Collier's magazines. It's an interesting comparison because a contemporary of, of Ford was John Huston, and John Huston had kind of gained the reputation for taking unadaptable novels or mm -hmm. long novels and turning them into films. Um, if it be Treasure of Sierra Madre, if it be um, The Dead, which is his final movie, uh, a lot he did a lot of that with novels. He was kind of known for that, and and Ford is kind of the opposite: take smaller and build from it. Uh, Ford would begin to take the film around town and even though many of Hollywood studios wanted to work with Ford there were two issues regarding this film one it was a western um, and again they did not want to put money into a genre that had fallen out of favor with audiences and two Ford wanted to cast a relatively unknown uh, in the lead cowboy role and that would be John Wayne uh, even before Wayne starred in the failed Big Trail, Wayne was an extra in several of John Ford's movies. And Ford had grown an affection for the young actor, and he wanted to groom him uh, into a movie star. But he knew it would take time, and even though Wayne would ask to be in some of his movies, Ford would choose not to cast him in any of his movies during the 1930s. 
When the script for Stagecoach was finally adapted by David Nichols, Ford took the script to Wayne uh, when they went on their a weekend boating trip together. Uh, Ford asked him who he thought would be good for the part of Ringo Kid. Wayne loved the script, and he suggested an actor by the name of Lloyd Nolan, who was another B-movie actor at the time who made crime films and westerns, uh, thinking he'd be, be great to play Ringo Kid. Uh, Ford was trying to bait Wayne into saying that he'd be good for the part. <laughs> um, Ford would say, I don't know about Nolan. I just wish to hell I could find some young actor in town that can ride a horse and act. <laughs> uh the next day at the end of their boat trip forward offer wayne the role and he was shocked wayne would continue to fear during that time that war would not ford would not hire him and hire nolan instead due to his suggestion uh like i said the script was written by david nichols the second i think the second time nichols and ford had worked together on a script the first being the informer uh nichols would work with ford a total of 16 times throughout his career um, when tackling the script, Nicholas changed a lot of things regarding the characters. He turned the the generic kind of gambler archetype into a southern gambler looking for redemption. He turned the generic army girl character who's going to see her soldier fiance into a pregnant woman going to see her husband. Uh, the character of the drunk would just become a drunk doctor that was ousted from town. Uh, he'd also make character changes like adding the embezzler banker, which was not present in the short story. Mm. Uh, he turned Ringo into like an escaped convict, essentially, in this one. Uh, and he would turn Dallas into a character that doesn't want to find out, doesn't want Ringo to find out about her history. I think it's more kind of apparent in the short story. I think she says, I run a house or whatever. It's usually kind of the person who runs the brothel. Um, essentially, he gave all of these characters either secrets or conflicts they would have to deal with throughout the movie. Um, but no matter how good the script was, the deadly combination of a Western and a failed leading man actor would soon scare off almost all of Hollywood. Uh, famed producer David O. Selznick wanted to make the movie, but he did not want to use the untested Wayne to be in the movie. Instead, he pushed for Ford to cast Gary Cooper, uh, and Ford refused to do so. Um, hmm. Due to his casting frustrations with the film and Ford's indecision on when production would begin, O. Selznick backed out of the deal. Um, after that fell through, Ford would then go to independent producer Walter Wanger, who would agree to produce the film. He also had doubts about the film because Ford had not made a Western in 13 years. Uh, and he didn't like the fact that Wayne was a B-movie actor cast the <laughs> lead. He also pushed Ford to cast Gary Cooper. Uh, but Ford refused, and also Cooper's price was apparently too high for the film's kind of small budget, which was the same thing at the time. Uh, can, I, uh, Ford can I make also, a confession? Yeah. Not a big Gary Cooper fan. That's okay. I mean, I think he works in certain movies. It might it might just be my distaste for the uh, Farewell to Arms uh, adaptation, which is an <laughs> awful, awful film. Talk about talk about making an, an unadaptable novel but um and i've always heard like hemingway loved the the cast cooper in that role but that's also because you know hemingway was obsessed with strapping young men uh <laughs> take that as you will but yeah. um yeah he's he's he, he never he never blew me away he had the presence but i didn't think he, i i never i've never seen like a, a great gary cooper performance yeah i mean I think the ones that come to mind are like, you'd say high noon mm -hmm. um, and maybe meet John Doe is one I would say that I think is probably my favorite performance by him. I also like cloak and dagger from Fritz Lang. That I thought was kind mm -hmm. of an interesting movie for him. Um, I mean, Cooper, I, I think 
he's one of those actors that I think over time, like the love for him has grown less and less. <laughs> is that like, cause like, I mean, I think someone like Jimmy Stewart is someone who's always going to be beloved in some way. Mm-hmm. I think because he worked with such kind of a variety of directors, but Cooper. Yeah. I, you could argue that he kind of plays similar characters throughout his career. Mm-hmm. He's almost like too bland in terms of like American ideals. In yes. A way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry to you. Gary Cooper stands out there <laughs> that listen to the show. Um, so they kept pushing for Gary Cooper and, 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 uh, Ford was kind of like, nah, I'm good. Um, Ford, uh, also refused to recast Claire Trevor, who plays Dallas, the, the prostitute in the movie. Uh, Trevor had been nominated for an Oscar a few years before, uh, for her performance in the movie dead end, but she was still not that big enough. And according to Wanger, uh, who was hoping for the role of Dallas to go to a bigger star, uh, Ford had been trying to find a role for Trevor for several years and stagecoach became that role. As a favor to Ford, Trevor agreed to make a screen test with Wayne to sell Wanger on the idea that Wayne was right for the part of Ringo Kidd at, and her as Dallas. Um, Ford and Wanger would then compromise, allowing him to keep his casting intact, but Wanger only agreed to put up $250,000 of the film's budget, less uh, than what Ford wanted. Um, so with the cast in place, money was coming in for the budget, and Ford was actually taking a $50,000 pay cut in his salary to make this movie wow stagecoach would move into production and that leads us to favorite scenes so thomas what is one of your favorite scenes in this movie um i mean i think i know this is a lot of scenes but i think just the character intros mm-hmm. are so mm-hmm. well done in this the, mm-hmm. the kind of assembling of the stagecoach i wrote that down too the, the exposition is handled really really well yep. in this movie yep. and and you get what you need and it's fun like i think the 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 intro of the doctor and and dallas with the with the little the little ladies of the town that are driving them both out literally put literally her pushing her out yeah. essentially of the town Th- thomas mitchell is is so good in this and, God, he's and amazing the intro of the doctor is great because he's such a he's you know he's he's this this drunk philosopher character and yeah. and he's an alcoholic but he's also like the moral center of the movie which is mm-hmm. for 1939 feels very cutting edge it <laughs> yeah, feels yeah. kind of yeah daring i don't know but um yeah. yeah you've got you just got that great you know he's he's kind of telling off the little ladies and then he goes into that the bar and he meets mr peacock and you get mm-hmm. kind of the mysterious john carradine uh hatfield intro is like is this guy mm-hmm. a creep you know what's going on yeah and you, you get the idea of, of Ringo. You, you, you kind of get the backstory of Ringo, even though yeah, it's going to be a while before we see him. It's yeah, it's, it's some, some really, really well mm-hmm. done exposition in this movie. No, I agree. That was the first thing I'd say. I was like, it's really economical and efficient and how it uh, introduces every character. Mm-hmm. If it be, like I said, them talking about Ringo kid of like, you're introducing him, but not seeing him, but he is kind of the, the the he's he's again he's the outlaw so like mm. you're building you're ford and i guess nichols or whatever they're building up john wayne's entrance as ringo kid yeah he is in the background we we're building towards ringo kids out there somewhere like we have to pay attention because he could just come out at any minute um but yeah it's i love thomas mitchell kind of stumbling out and grabbing his doctor name off the wall mm-hmm. and 
kind of runs into to Dallas and Dallas like can they do this and he's like they're doing it to me too yeah. like they're running me out let's too do let's do it with dignity yeah and then yeah it's like you really kind of again with with uh with Carradine it's like he's like he kind of sees um um uh Louisa Platt who her character name is uh Louise yeah Lucy uh Lucy Mallory he kind of see it's like kind of that that really um I mean, it's also kind of a voyeuristic shot when it's showing like uh, um, his character Hatfield looking through the window at her, and he's kind of like, "Oh, who's that lady? I'm gonna get on that that stagecoach too." So you don't know where he's at, mm-hmm. um, and and it establishes too also like the other like the driver Buck and the Marshall yeah. uh, Andy Marshall Wilcox. So much fun in this. He's great. Um, he'll he'll come in to play a little bit later with with Sir, with how he got cast. Um, but yeah, it's like they it really sets up all these all the players in this in this movie and establishes in some cases with say Dallas, you know right from the beginning if you understand what Ford's saying of wh- what type of person she is, mm-hmm. that she is a prostitute in town and again and that kind of goes to this idea of like how American society views things even to this day yeah. about I guess like sex work or just women or whatever in some way you're not uh adhering to the the uh, american ideals or the social norms yeah so we must get rid of you you are different that's the thing all, all these characters except maybe Mal, uh, uh lucy lucy's character the character of lucy they're all somewhat outsiders mm-hmm. and they're being pushed out of town because they're different uh and that's what kind of makes them i think once they get into the stagecoach so interesting to watch because they begin kind of poking at one another it's like doc boone thomas mitchell he starts to like he starts kind of like probing hatfield mm-hmm. when he's like oh yeah i was pulling bullets out of a man's back last week i wonder who that was from yeah like he's very he's like, like i'm a real gentleman and yeah. he's like yeah i pulled a bullet out of a man's back that a gentleman put there yeah so it's just, it's very it's it's very great and then that leads us to arguably one of the greatest film intros of all time <laughs> like arguably it's like it's like it's up there with with sean connery as james bond mm-hmm. but uh and 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 others there are, are blanking around mind but like ford is literally setting up wayne to be a movie star yep which is insane like the way it's like i'm gonna make this dynamic camera move into john wayne spinning his rifle oh it's such a cool with, rifle and even with the like out of focus when it's pushing mm-hmm. in they hit the mark still they, 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 the, the they, focus they, puller yeah, they misses it, well. it somewhere somewhere in the, in somewhere the, moves, in the middle. but they, they hit the mark at the end for sure <laughs> at the end and that's what you need and that's what you need it's it's literally an exclamation point this is john wayne mm-hmm. and the rest is just the legend yeah. and then it leads into putting john wayne in the stagecoach and that's when everything begins to unravel in yeah. some way with these characters all, all these people like you were saying all these people are, are the fringes of society and so then when you introduce an outlaw into the mix and he kind of brings up the idea of like hey look at me you don't have to be a part of society yeah it, it kind of changes everybody's worldview except except the banker who you know we we come to find is is the true 
is the true outlaw. Uh, John Ford had definitely had something to say about white collar crime in this movie. <laughs> in 1939, <laughs> uh, in the middle of the depression. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how that holds up very well. Um, and yeah, it's like, cause, cause, cause the banker is the guy who he comes in last. He's like, Oh yeah, I'm having to leave. Like go, I got, I got a message. And yeah, it's like, they start kind of unraveling. It's like you have the, with, 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 with Hatfield, when they're talking about the civil war, he, he's like, you mean the war for Southern independence or whatever <laughs> it is. And I think Mitchell says the war of the rebellion. He goes, you mean this, the war for Southern independence? Yeah. And then it kind of, it starts kind of probing it. Like, I mean, the Ringo kid with like, it, 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 you establish his revenge plot that he's after the three men that killed his brother. Mm -hmm. And it's, it establishes Thomas Mitchell as this guy who's like always been an alcoholic, basically mm -hmm. where, where alcohol has always been kind of his main vice and his main flaw mm. for decades since since the war and yeah you start getting that those political thoughts with everyone in it and it, it's i mean it's it's very timely with a lot of the conversation my name's henry seems to me i knew your family henry didn't i fix your arm once when you bucked off a horse are you doc boone i certainly am now let's see I'd just been honorably discharged from the Union Army after the War of the Rebellion. You mean the war for the Southern Confederacy, sir? I mean nothing of the kind, sir. That was my kid brother broke his arm. You did a good job, Doc, even if you was drunk. Thank you, son. Professional compliments are always pleasing. Yes, they are. What happened to that boy whose arm I fixed? He was murdered. And it also kind of establishes that kind of tension, sexual tension and romantic tension, I guess, between between uh, uh, Ringo and uh, and Dallas. And the way Ford shoots it, I was I was I was I think I was listening to Peter Bogdanovich talk about that that Ford, even though like Wayne is sitting like basically on the floor of the stagecoach, he always shoots the characters the same height, so they're never like looking down on him or he's looking up at everyone else. They're all on the same playing field the entire scenes, the mm -hmm. entire scene of the stagecoach. Um, but yeah, that just the way the way those dynamics are in the stagecoach are really kind of fantastic. Um, another, a scene I like because again you mentioned Thomas Mitchell, I just love Thomas Mitchell in this movie. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite scenes is when they are trying to get him sober to uh, to do the to to basically give to help uh help give help uh uh lucy give birth to her child yeah when they're when they're stopped on one of their their post or whatever and it's like hey they're just they're just downing him with coffee to get him sober so more, he could more blacker this stronger baby. yeah deliver this baby and i think it's just a great moment because like i think that we'll talk about later but that's what that's what like makes kind of his performance because mm -hmm. it's that he knows he's imperfect and he knows he has the ability to be a great doctor if he can just get out of his own way. And he realized because it's such an important moment, he has to make sure he is of sound mind because I think she's also kind of like, again, she could die in the process. Mm -hmm. The baby could die in the process. He has to be at top in top form to do it. And it's such a great scene kind of setting him up. Um, do you have another scene? I really like, um, the scene when uh dallas is trying to get ringo to leave and 
yeah she like gets the horse packed up and and gets him out and he starts going but he sees the sees the war the war signals and and curly comes like running after him and grabs him he's like you don't have to handcuff me look but um (laughs) i do like kind of everybody trying to talk ringo i i i I really like the guy who owns the house um Mm -hmm. uh who's he's just like you you you, you shouldn't go in you shouldn't go into that town i think you should go anywhere else but (laughs) but to that town but they they do such a good job of of setting up this like you know for for everyone else getting there is is safety Mm -hmm. but for ringo everyone is certain for ringo it's 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 death it's like every, everyone else has to get there to survive but they're all worried about him once once yeah. they get to like him they're all worried about yeah. him just riding into his death how's this like one yeah. kid gonna shoot it out with three brothers yeah because that's their all i mean again it's like you you kind of go into this idea of like is ringo this way because of personality or because of circumstance mm-hmm. and it's because of circumstance like it sounds like and yep. that's and when you're building towards the ending um that we'll get into a little bit later or in, in this favorite scenes but like it's building towards him trying to have a clean slate and everyone once they begin to like him want him to have a clean slate mm-hmm. except kind of the marshal because the marshal i'm doing my job i have to i have to take him to jail yeah. essentially um and yeah see so yeah, i want hate when basically wayne and then and so that's we'll just lead into that it's like the stunts of this movie are insane yeah like literally insane and you get into the 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 chase with the apaches because this and we'll, we'll talk about this and what didn't work but the problematic stuff of the native americans portrayal is ridiculous um but stunt wise in this chase scene it is jaw-dropping mm-hmm. that they did this <laughs> it's, it's it's so it's basically the main guy who helped do it was john wayne's stuntman uh uh yakima canut is his name i believe hmm. uh apologies for it, but he was he was we'll talk about him a little bit later but he was john wayne's big stunt man and so he did all the like jumping from horse to horse or like uh he kind of helped develop a lot of the kind of big stunts that were done this thing but the but the 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 chase with the apaches is just because they're doing that top speed yeah they're not that's that's not sped up or anything that's top speed them running through like salt flats and um in california because they shot in california um and the camera angles and that are just amazing like i said the way they're putting the camera like by the horses with horses running and just how it's tracking everything is just it's it's jaw drop dropping mm-hmm. it's insane um wide shots of you know wayne or wayne stunt double up on top of the yeah uh you know and then of course you've got the i mean i think the the most famous stunt is ringo jumping onto the horses but the 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 actor who leaps from a horse onto the the pulling horses and then gets shot and like lowers himself down and like aims himself so he can slide under the wagon is absolutely insane that's that's canut that's yakima uh uh canut uh apparently i'm jumping ahead a little bit about there with that thing apparently that was like the most dangerous stunt. no absolutely yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can you can see it in the in the film yeah. like him yeah they've got like a bar for him to hold on to and you can see him like yeah. aiming himself 
and it's just like all right i just let go and if yeah, the wagon me. if the wagon stays straight it won't run over me but that is entirely up to the wagon let, let me let me read his quote about it because I, I i wasn't gonna put it but i'll say it because his quote is kind of funny uh he goes uh yakima couldn't explain how the stunt was accomplished whereas the apache warrior attacking the stagecoach he is shot falls off his horse and then gets dragged underneath the stagecoach he goes you have to run the horses fast they'll run straight if they run slow they move around a lot when you turn loose to go on the the, the coach you've got to bring your arms over your chest and stomach you've got to hold your elbows close to your body or that front axle will knock them off uh after the stunt was complete Canut ran to director john ford to make sure that he got the stunt Ford replied that even if they hadn't i'll never shoot that again <laughs> So that was the one take, good, one good. take wonder, but yeah, it's 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 astonishing, um, it's 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 downright insane, um, and then also even the river one, they're like when they're trying to cross the river, it's very mm-hmm. that was a big one to do, and they have the, that shot up on the stagecoach when the horses are diving into the water, yeah, uh, I mean it's 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 fantastic, and to go with that, go with kind of the technical side of this, because this movie feels like. Again, Ford has been Ford has been working since the 1910s at this point. You're looking at a guy who's been been filmmaking the director's chair for over 20 years, and so you're seeing him use every trick he knows in terms of visuals, in terms of t- storytelling in this movie, and the way he there's so much depth in the sets mm-hmm. and how they and how they how they shoot the sets and and the almost like early noir cinematography when it gets to like certain moments if it's if it's uh uh uh, ringo and dallas talking outside the uh after after she's had the baby when they're outside at at night kind of talking about he goes i have a place a patch of land that we can go to together Mm -hmm. and i want you to go with me um it's very very contrast very just it's very dark and then even when it's like in the hallway scene when he goes to see her at one point the hallways have all this just like kind of vanishing lines this, this massive like depth to mm-hmm. it um and then even kind of the big shootout with the when he's going to find the brothers like it's 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 like an early noir yeah with all the kind of levels of of the houses in there and kind of the shadows yeah that, there's that that great shot of when they tell uh what's his face luke what's the, the, the brothers the, the brother yeah yeah luke Pl- uh plumber yeah luke or, plumber yeah. when they when they tell him that that ringo's in town and he like stands up into yeah the darkness yeah and you just completely lose sight of his face yeah yeah very, and then, yeah, very and noir then, and then yeah the very noir and just all the revenge stuff is great and again the way the way um ford shoots close-ups mm-hmm. is fantastic it's and he does it a lot with trevor it's a lot with claire trevor's character and also john wayne too it's like he he again that big scene when they're talking um about like what he again the conflict that he wants to take her off and go away and have a clean slate and she's like oh he doesn't he's not gonna want me when he finds out that i'm a prostitute um and he doesn't care and that's what kind of sets up kind of the great ending is that him and trevor are able to go off and have a clean slate yeah and and it's doc and doc and curly are the ones who kind of put it together because he's yeah ringo's fully prepared to go back to prison and answer for and, for what he's done yeah. and, and dallas is fully, i think fully prepared to let him go and like be gone and, and like lose him yeah and it's a great kind of, i mean nope. it's a hollywood ending yep and there's there, there's something there you know when when you're trying to get to like what is the western saying 
and, and and I don't think you can, you know, it's it's like any genre, you can't pare it down. It's it's more dependent on the director and the writer than it is necessarily the genre, but there is this idea of like the American hero and all that, but like this I don't I don't think this one's necessarily saying that. And and it's very important to note that, you know, the 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 Eden, the the paradise at the end of this movie is is out in the middle of nowhere where yep. society isn't going to bother them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this it's it's not, you know, we're going to we're going to get out of the West and, and get a house. And some, no, it's my my ranch in Mexico that no one even knows where it is. It's like you and I are going to go off and and we're never going to have to come into town again. Um, so there's definitely this there's this kind of weird antisocial uh line running through this whole movie it's yeah it, who, who needs who needs civilization who, yeah who needs society because society is going to judge us yeah. let's go to a place where we can be unjudged not or not judged um and that's they do and it's this very happy moment of them driving off into monument valley yeah. uh uh together and doc boone and 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 and, and a curly just happy to see them go happy yeah. to see these two young kids yeah exactly go have a new life together there's, there's still hope for those two Look, Miss Dallas, you got no folks. Neither have I. And well, maybe I'm taking a lot for granted, but I watched you with that baby, that other woman's baby. You look, well, well, I still got a ranch across the border. That's a nice place, a real nice place. Trees, grass, water. There's a cabin half built. Man could live there. And a woman. There you go. All right, last last one I do want to bring up is yeah. Thomas Mitchell in the bar with with the the Plummer brothers. Yeah, is is so good. You know, it's this guy who's obviously had a tough time during the war, has kind of numbed his life with with alcohol, and he just has this moment of absolute courage yeah and and stands up to the boys and saves ringo's life basically by not letting him take a shotgun to this shootout and then he has that great moment where he's like never let me do that again (laughs) that god thomas mitchell and we'll talk about him about the year he had but just i think arguably in this time period one of the best if not the one of the best character actors Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um it's like putting it's like he he's the same year he's in Mr. Smith goes to Washington and like, you know, they don't really have scenes here, but him and Claude rains in the same movie together. It's just kind of, it's, it's like <laughs> two, two of the best, like kind of character actors of that period. And the Claude rains did lead stuff as well, mm-hmm. but just like phenomenal. I now want to go rewatch Mr. Smith goes to Washington <laughs> all of a sudden, because I forgot how great they both are in that movie. And Gene, and Gene Arthur too. I'll take that shotgun Luke. You'll take it in the belly. If you don't get out of my way. I'll have you indicted for murder if you step outside with that shotgun. We'll attend to you later. Don't ever let me do that again. Onset life. 
So filming for Stagecoach would begin in November of 1938. The film would shoot all over Southern California and the Southwest. The film is famous for being the first first time John Ford filmed at Monument Valley, a place he would become synonymous with throughout his career, and would kind of the play, it would become this, it become synonymous with essentially the American West yeah. and cinema. Um, location lies on the Utah Arizona state line in the territory of the Navajo Nation. Uh, Monument Valley has been shown, I think, twice before in earlier films, is what I saw on Wikipedia. But that might not be true. This might actually still be the first time it's shown. Um, but Ford made it famous using it in a total of nine of his films, even in films that don't take place in that area. Um, Ford would later say that he believed Miami Valley to be the most complete, beautiful and peaceful place on earth. However, the film would never have been shot there. If it weren't for a man by the name of Harry Golding, who had ran a trading post in the area, Golding, I think was born in the area, you know, I don't think he was Navajo, um, but he had run tours of Miami Valley and, and be, but because of depression, depression, uh, because of the depression uh, business was slow um and he had a photographer that had visited the location hundreds of times kind of taking photos of the area and he gave copies to golding so golding went to hollywood with his wife um to try and pitch the area as a filming location because he heard they were trying to shoot a western somewhere um golding would help build the area up over the years by building a hotel band up like paving the road road i think by the 1950s um, and he got a lot of members of the Navajo Nation jobs as extras and crew members in the films or big, due to the, the film, uh, the film hired them on a lot of these films. Um, but uh, he, he has a complicated history with the area because later in life, he would allow people to mine for uranium there, which resulted in radiation that ran throughout the areas where the members of the Navajo Nation were. Uh, it's kind of a fascinating story, honestly. They're, they... It was an article that came out literally just last year, November in 2021, by the Durango Herald. So very recent to dive into this guy's kind of life. But they talk about how he like helped build up the area in the Navajo Nation by having all this filming there, and then kind of ended up like ruining it in the process later mm-hmm. on by renting out places that they use for uranium mines. <laughs> so yeah, uh, while the filming took place in Arizona and Miami Valley, the production apparently experienced rough shoot days. The hours were long, and due to the elevation, I think they were like 5,700 elevation or something, the weather was terrible. They experienced heavy winds and low temperatures throughout the filming. Uh, They would also shoot at several movie ranches in Encino and Chatsworth in Los Angeles County. So, uh, I talked about him before, but when John Lee was hired for his film, he also convinced Ford to hire his good friend stuntman, Yakima Knutt, uh, Wayne had met Knut during the production of the 1932 film, The Shadow of the Eagle. Wayne was impressed by his agility and talent, while Knut was imp- appreciated Wayne's willingness to learn how to do his own stunts. Uh, Knut and Wayne became great friends and began developing stunts together during the 1930s. They essentially developed how you could actually fight on screen together by, he's like, oh, if you can put the camera here, the punch will look it's actually a real punch. They kind of developed oh. a lot of stuff like that. And today, in terms of Hollywood history, Knut is seen as possibly one of the if not the greatest stuntman of all time uh he became a stunt supervisor on the film and one of the biggest they said besides that uh the big kind of falling underneath the wagon uh he helped develop the river crossing scene by using a cable to pull the stagecoach through the water along with adding hollowed out logs to each side to balance the full stagecoach from sinking mm-hmm. because of the all because all the actors were in it <laughs> um 
And after apparently that river scene, he was allegedly giving free reign by Ford to do whatever he wanted to with the stunts. Um, uh, another stunt they did, I don't know who did this, but apparently there was a big film stunt at the time in Westerns called the Running W, which is something that you see when the uh, Apache horses are being shot from underneath them, basically, and the horses could kind of fall down, essentially, mm-hmm. or get yanked up. Uh, this was consistently used throughout the industry at the time, and it seems like a lot of horses would become injured or yes. die from this stunt. Yes. Um, and at some point, not I don't know when, but this would later be outlawed in the industry because of the amount of deaths from horses. Um, speaking of the Apache, since they were filming in Navajo Nation for some of this, the production hired hundreds of Navajo Native Americans to be extras in the film or handymen for the crew, which resulted in a massive economic boom for the area. Uh, for the com- climactic battle, Ford hired 200 extras from the Navajo Nation and would consistently hire them for many of his films, paying them union rates in the process, not below union rates, union rates. Um, mm. At the time, he, he, he it seems he was beloved by the tribe with them giving him a Navajo name, meaning tall leader. So, yeah, we'll talk about kind of the irony of that later. <laughs> um, besides shooting at Miami Valley and the movie ranches, the films the film was also shot at Republic Studios for certain interiors and backlot scenes. It seems, it seems the opening town scenes and the closing town scenes were shot on the same lot, according to True West magazine. Uh, originally the ending was supposed to take place during the day, but in order to hide the fact they were the same sets in the beginning, they staged the scenes at night. Well, it definitely, definitely works to hide it. It works so much better. So last big chunk here. Now, uh, John Ford has gained a reputation over his career for being somewhat of a bully, uh, on set to his actors, specifically of all people to John Wayne. Uh, he called Wayne a big oaf and a dumb bastard and continually criticized his line delivery and manner of walking, even how he washed his face on camera. Um, However, at least part of this was to provoke the actor into giving a stronger performance. Claire Trevor recalls Ford grabbed Duke by the chin and shook him saying, why are you moving your mouth so much? Don't you know, don't you know, you don't act with your mouth in pictures. You act with your eyes. (laughs) Um, At one point, he even said to Annie Devine, the stagecoach driver, to Annie Devine, not about Wayne, but to Devine, you big tub of lard, I don't know why the hell I'm using this picture. Devine replied, because w- Ward Bond, who was the original actor cast, can't drive six horses. <laughs> um, likewise, he attacked Thomas Mitchell, who eventually retorted, just remember I saw Mary of Scotland, effectively humbling the director because it was apparently the worst movie of his career up to that point <laughs> uh, by critics. Uh, but even with all of that, in regards to Wayne, uh, uh, Louise Platt stated that Ford told her on set that Wayne would be the biggest movie star ever because of his everyman quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Claire Trevor would also say that Ford was wonderful to her, never treating her the way he did Wayne. Uh, also, Trevor stated that she loved what Wayne brought to the role, and both her and Platt would enjoy looking at Wayne on set. <laughs> uh, Trevor, I think, said, talked about his long legs, and also she said that Platt turned to her once and said, I think he has the most beautiful buttocks I have ever seen. Film <laughs> uh, would eventually wrap on January 7th, 1939, four days over its 43-day production shoot. And that would lead to Aftermath. Remember I said it wrapped on January 7th? Mm-hmm. Well, the film would have a press screening in L.A. on February 2nd. Excuse me? Less than a month later. <laughs> uh, the cast and crew would attend the screening, and actress Claire Trevor, uh, when looking back on the event on the film's 60th uh, anniversary uh, uh, in L.A. Times, I think in the 90s, I guess, um, she said the picture, or she was, she's saying, 
I usually hate to see myself, but in this picture, I forgot I was in it. The picture lifted me up and took me on this wonderful trip. I was overcome by it. When walking out, a journalist said to her, that's a pretty good Western. And she said, I almost hit him in the face. And I said, a Western, it's a classic. It's a fabulous picture. It would then go on to open nationwide on March 2nd, again, less than two months after it was finished filming, uh, when it was met with critical and commercial acclaim. It would gross a total of $1.1 million against the film's final $500,000 budget. It would be very beneficial to Ford because he had a big piece in the film. I don't know how much, I don't know if he put up a lot of money for it. It sounds like he might have because Wanger only put up $250,000 for the movie. Um, but because of its box office success, it actually took care of his family while he went off to World War II uh, with the Navy when he went and shot a bunch of uh, docudra- or doc- documentaries mm-hmm. for the U.S. government. Um, he actually, apparently, Ford had even. Uh, signed up for the for the navy before pearl harbor ever happened so he was pretty much there from the beginning um and while it gave ford some financial stability the film launched john wayne to superstardom almost immediately uh even though wayne was not given the top top billing that went to claire trevor audience recognized wayne's charisma which is something ford had seen all along the film would receive a total of seven nominations at the oscars that year including best picture and best director it was the 1939 Oscars, which today is labeled by many as one of the greatest years of film of all time due to movies like Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, uh, uh, a lot of other ones that I'm blanking on for some reason. <laughs> um, the, film would win- the film would eventually win two Oscars, one for best scoring, which I have no clue what that is. Uh, I think because there was a best scoring and best original score hmm. at this time. I think it means they used previous exist uh, previous or used existing music for the score yeah yeah because it's got all those like old hymns um, yeah it's it's pretty much all built around kind of classic hymns yeah so wow and they so used it, to be best adapted score yeah I guess. essentially yeah yeah so hmm. it had five credited composers for the film with two uncredited composers for the film um, the other Oscar the film would take home would be Best Supporting Actor for Thomas Mitchell's performance as Doc Boone. Wow, well deserved. Mitchell had a stellar year since he appeared in three, I count them, three of the Best Picture nominees from that year, being Stagecoach, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and Gone with the Wind. Wow. Uh, that same year, he also starred in Howard Hawks' film Only Angels Have Wings with uh, Cary Grant and mm-hmm. Gene Arthur, and also The Hunchback of Notre Dame. So... I think five movies in one year. Damn. Three Best Picture nominees. Uh, as time has passed, Stagecoach is still seen by many as one of the greatest Westerns of all time. It was listed by the AFI, American Film Institute, as the ninth best Western of all time, and it was inducted in the National Film Registry in 1995. Um, but its lasting effect is making the Western a viable genre again. Uh, it would become the template for years to come, being labeled by many as the first adult and first psychological Western at the time. When looking back on the film, Claire, Claire Trevor said, Stagecoach was the only thing I've ever done that couldn't have been done in, in another medium. It used the motion picture camera and music, folk songs with symphonic arrangements that up to that time had never been done before. Mm-hmm. And that is Stagecoach. So what worked about this film, Thomas? Cast. Yep. Cast and characters. Um, I think it's, yeah. it's a great script. Yeah. And, and like you were saying with kind of the idea of this being the first adult Western just the idea of taking uh, what what could be, you know, 
a could be a play you know it could be this yeah. this character drama of all these people that are so different being brought together under you know threat of death and 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 what kind of being in danger can force upon these people and and to to bring that all together under the guise of this genre that was for like for kids and for radio shows at this time mm-hmm. is is incredible and yeah and then for ford to be able to shoot it so kind of revolutionary the the way yeah. that he was able to use the camera to to not only change up the genre from a storytelling standpoint but also from a visual standpoint is just you know yeah. this is why this is why it's the one that you start with when you study the yeah. genre it is it is the the quintessential early western yeah no i mean like i said you have to kind of it is very much before stagecoach and after stagecoach mm-hmm like and you can go into like kind of some of Ford's silent westerns. Like I think the Iron Horse is one that was really big, um, and even the Big Trail has like not Ford, but was Ryle Walsh in nineteen thirty. It's it's grown up in a claim of like it's considered a great western of the era, mm-hmm. but was just misunderstood at the time. Um, but no, yeah, I think when anytime you add a new anytime you've added a, an addition to filmmaking, if it be you go from silence to talkies or black and white to color or it's even just adding the the haze code mm-hmm. um i think filmmakers have to relearn how to make films at a period of like how okay well now i have to add sound how what can i do now and what can i do now like that, that i have to like or I have to change it's like why like film like cinematography became so kind of elaborate at the end of the silent era and they had to kind of backtrack because you had to add sound equipment now and you had to think about that why you couldn't make westerns of this scale because it was so hard to do on location sound um you had they had to be inventive even like when we talk about when we talked about it's wonderful life about how like it was hard to do christmas movies at the time because of the snow mm-hmm. because the snow sounded so bad on sound they had to find a way to found find a way to make a different type of snow um and that kind of happens here. I think now, like they've John Ford had worked to a certain point where it's like, cool. I've learned so much now with doing ten years of sound stuff. Let me make a western, which is what I was my bread and butter for decades, essentially. I mean, again, he made sixty westerns before nineteen thirty nine. <laughs> it's insane. Um, so yeah, I think the cast works like you said. I think the screenwriter, the, the script works, the production design, I think works. I think uh, cinematography wise, like it's it's all kind of top notch. So did, did anything not work, Thomas? No, nah, I mean, you know, I feel like we should we should just blanket for this month. Be like, yep. yeah, the portrayal of Native Americans in this uh, in this genre as a whole doesn't work. But um, I think the biggest travesty of this film is the representation of Native Americans because I I, I don't know much about the 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 genre. I've seen several several films of the genre before pre-stagecoach but i don't know if any other film had had made native americans this just like pure evil yeah murdering savages yeah and i mean you you don't even get in this one you don't even get the complexity like like in something like the searchers yeah there's the idea they, they bring in the idea of like oh there's different tribes and like this specific tribe is out for blood right now but we have peace with this tribe and and this tribe doesn't support that tribe this one is just like any native american is bad like they they, they bring yeah. in the the woman 
Yep. Who's the 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 guy's wife and and, wife. and they they set it up like almost like oh no she's she's quote unquote a good one you know and yeah. you're like oh, okay well maybe at least there's at least they'll give us that and then she like stabs him in the back immediately yeah she and, turns, like, she like, turns like, him in yeah, yeah like with no like she's been married to this guy for how long and she's just like oh there's these like five people here i'm gonna go i'm gonna go and tell them that that they're yeah. here so yeah this one this one especially I'm, I'm not gonna say you know in john wayne's lifetime we ever got a movie that really got the native american experience in the west right I, i'm still yeah. not sure that we've we've had a couple of films that have tried to do a little bit better job in recent history I, i'm not sure we've ever had one that really nailed it but yeah. um it, it 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 did get a little bit more it, it just a, a, a millimeter yeah uh, more considerate after this but yeah this one's this one is just <laughs> like they are just faceless all faceless killers basically yeah and it's like yeah so it's it's the kind of, that's the irony is that like ford apparently being beloved i mean i get out know how true that is when i state that it's just what i read at one point being beloved by the Navajo nation because he's, he's providing so many jobs for the area Mm -hmm. and it's economic boom, but it's essentially portraying native Americans in such a negative light. It's like he helps in one way, but hurts in the overall scheme Mm -hmm. of things. Um, and it's, and that, and that goes all the way to the end with the, 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 I mean, going to the seventies, like with the, um, the Marlon Brando not accepting the God, the the old yeah. Oscar for the Godfather and sending up the uh, the woman to to read the speech about Native American representation in film, and allegedly John Wayne being upset trying to run up on stage to stop her. Yeah, like it's like that's it's 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 a tr- it's a complicated and troubled history, um, in filmmaking with with kind of the Native American representation, um, in westerns and and other films alike. Um, but that's that's the big thing for me. It's that's that's that is the the big black spot on this film. Yeah, is, and, and, and I think it especially that it especially sticks out for this film because it is a film that has so much consideration for people in so many different yeah, walks exactly. of life. Yeah, um, but it's like nah, not this, not this. Yeah, not group over here. But you know, I think yeah. it, I think it. I, I think a lot of people who watch this movie might cringe when when the Civil War is brought up and the idea that Hatfield is yeah. a, is a Confederate. But I think they handle that. You know, he, he's not presented Fairly as a good well. guy in any sense, but, no. um, but you know, he is the idea that, that he's not necessarily an out and out bad guy because he participated in the war, but it's also not that it's definitely a, a mark on his character for, for yeah. feeling, for being on that side and for continuing to feel that way, which is something that Ford would, would bring up again in the searchers. You know, that's the whole thing mm-hmm. where Ethan was, it, it, it's kind of implied that, that, ethan kept the civil war going for like two years after the surrender mm-hmm. and that is that's not not depicted in a good way for him um yeah. oh i did i didn't mean to mention i i absolutely love that shot of when hatfield dies you've oh, got the, yeah. like him him loading the gun, the gun to kill yeah. mrs mallory and then you follow yeah. the gun as it comes up to her head and then you hear a gunshot like praying and you yeah, see it drop praying. and then it just yeah. holds on her until she hears the the cavalry coming yeah no it's amazing um again that's see all those sequences are great all right alternate universe cast so i said earlier that ward bond was the was apparently gonna be the driver in the movie but he couldn't drive the stagecoach mm-hmm. so they, hire, they had to hire annie divine um for the movie um gary cooper as i said before was the big one 
But there's the the other one that I don't know who pushed what because I kept getting conflicting reports of like oh Selznick was pushing Cooper, but then I heard uh, Wanger was pushing pushing Cooper, and I also heard that Wanger and or Oselznik were pushing Marlena Dietrich for Dallas instead hmm. of Claire Trevor. Um, so Marlena Dietrich was a big one. Apparently Ford also thought about Catherine Hepburn for Dallas as well. Oh, okay. He had worked with her previously before. Um, also Claire Trevor, we talked about her before on with our Key Largo podcast because she would later win an Oscar for mm-hmm. that movie in 1948. Um, on to film facts. So the hat that John Wayne wears uh, in this movie was his own hat. Uh, he <laughs> would wear it in many westerns. I'm just gonna bring my own. Ne- thanks. No, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. He would wear it in many westerns during the next two decades before retiring it after Howard Hawks's Rio Bravo because it was simply falling apart. After that, the hat was displayed under glass in his home. Um, the interior sets are all have visible ceilings that were filmed, an unusual practice at the time for studio filming. This was done to create a claustrophobic effect and complete counterpoint to the wide open expanse of Monument Valley. Mm-hmm. And that leads to Orson Welles has said that the film was a textbook example of filmmaking and said he watched it more than 40 times in preparation for the making of Citizen Kane. Yeah. Isn't that in, in me and Orson Welles? Don't, don't they have that scene where he like comes out of stagecoach and is like, Oh my God. I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And then later, cause I know, I know in the, um, in, in, and this is Orson Welles of beer Bogdanovich. He talks about how like he essentially would bring in whoever headed up the department and stagecoach and talk about, okay, how'd you do that? So it's like he brought in, he brought in the DP, he'd bring in the production designer, he'd bring in, uh, probably costumes or whatever. He'd bring them in and kind of sit down and talk to them. Okay, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? And he would just watch that film over and over again. So when people say, like, oh, did you watch this film? He goes, no, no, I only watch Stagecoach. <laughs> That's all you watch to prep for this movie or to prep for Citizen Kane. Um, there will be several different adaptations of Stagecoach across several mediums for years to come. There were three different radio adaptations in the 1940s. Uh, Claire Trevor starred in the first one and the final one, and I believe in 1949, both Trevor and John Wayne reprised their roles in the radio adaptation. Hmm. Uh, there was a 1966 remake starring Anne Margaret. Uh, that apparently broke even at the box office. It received mixed reviews over the years, but I think like Tarantino said, take this with a grain of salt. Tarantino said like it's up there with John Ford stagecoach as well. <laughs> so some people like it a lot. Um, I don't think, I think Tarantino's not a big fan of Ford if I'm not mistaken. So take that what you will. Um, there was also a television remake in 1986 starring Willie Nelson as Doc Holliday, a new character for the film. <laughs> uh, Chris Christopherson as Ringo Kid, Johnny Cash as the Marshal, and Waylon Jennings as the Gambler. Uh, <laughs> June Carter Cash was also in the film as well as one of the characters. The film was meant to be a musical, but once the budget was cut in half, none of the songs were recorded except for Willie Nelson's title song. Like, yeah, film. we got all these musicians in it. <laughs> And no music. No I music just, at all. I just looked up the 66 one and Bing Crosby played Doc Boone. Yes, that's what it was. Bing Crosby. And uh, Slim Pickens was Buck, which seems very fitting. Makes... Slim Pickens has Andy Divine energy. Well, I did look up. I was like, I was like, is this Slim Pickens? This can't be Slim Pickens. This is too young. <laughs> and that makes sense that Slim Pickens in the remake. Yeah, it's like, I think that the guy who was Ringo Kid was like a guy from Airwolf, the TV show or something, Alex Court, I believe, mm. is mm-hmm. the name. Um, 
but not 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 the level of John Wayne apparently. Um, John Wayne's salary was considerably less than all of his co-stars, apart from John Carradine. Claire Trevor received the most at fifteen thousand dollars for the movie. Wayne received only three thousand dollars, three thousand seven hundred dollars for the film, which was only thirty-four dollars more than Carradine. Um, last note: the original negative of the film of Stagecoach was either lost or destroyed. Um, Wayne had one positive print that had never been through a projector gate that director Pierre Bogdanovich noticed in Wayne's garage while visiting. <laughs> in 1970, Wayne allowed for it to be allowed for uh, it to be used to produce a, a new negative, and that's the film that's seen today at film festivals and when it's kind of shown around. Uh, UCLA fully restored the film in 1996 from Surviving Elements and premiered it on uh, AMC Network back then. Um, yeah, because it's a the Criterion print that's up right now is is beautiful. It's beautiful, yeah, yeah. And and that, talking about being lost or destroyed, that that's a whole other big thing with old films, specifically with John Ford. Like a lot of John Ford's silent films are lost. Like Man made 140 films, and a lot of them are lost in that early early period of his career. Hmm. There's no recollection of. Um, all right, on to story questions. Do you have any story questions for this film? I'm 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 interested. They they don't really visit into I'm I'm of of all the people who have kind of been like changed by this experience. I'm very curious as to what Mrs. Mallory's future looks like. Yeah, because her this her husband doesn't. We don't see her husband die or anything, do it. No. That's not ever referenced. No, she's supposed to be like he's supposed to be like waiting for her in the town. We don't see them reunite, but you know she she is someone of of delicate sensibilities as we are uh introduced to in the beginning of the movie yes and, and at the end you know her her kind of the, the 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 period on the end of her character arc is is her and dallas kind of her yeah. her welcoming dallas in and, yeah. and offering her you know whatever you need i'm here but yeah you know what is what is what does that turn into is she you know out strolling with her army captain husband someday and he's like oh look at that drunk yeah. over there and she's like hey don't hey yeah don't talk about I knew him. a doctor once who delivered our baby who <laughs> yeah. was drunk. Our baby coyote. Um, Do they keep calling the baby coyote? Yeah, I wonder if that's yeah, they keep calling <laughs> baby coyote um as he gets older. Um yeah, that's gonna be a great story for her to tell her husband of like, so here's what happened on yeah. my stagecoach. Uh, um, a uh, rebel soldier protected me and a drunk doctor delivered yeah. my baby and a prostitute escaped, nursed. <laughs> an escaped convict protected us, basically. <laughs> Um, and she'll never know that she almost died by by the by the hand of the rebel who was who was gonna give her a mercy killing so mm-hmm. she wouldn't be uh, taken by the Apaches. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, does does Doc Boone ever get sober? I don't know. I think I think I think by the end of the movie, Doc Boone has a better grip on his alcoholism. But yeah, <laughs> I don't know that I would say it's under control in any sense. The thing is, like, because when, when Carl's, like, I'll buy you a drink. He's like, just one, and then, and then they laugh. And then they have their they their uh, Casablanca. <laughs> this is the beginning of a beautiful relationship <laughs> moment. Oh, beautiful friendship. Uh, and then you have, I mean, and the question is, so do so. Here's a question: Do do you think um, Ringo and Dallas make it clean to like cl- clean getaway to Mexico? To I think land? so. Okay, I think they're they're good to go. Sounds like Geronimo is the only problem out there. You know, this is. Oh yeah. This is. I wonder if this kind of predates like. There's no other talk of like other bandits or anything. You know, there's just kind of like Ringo is the only like bandit out there, and he's not really a bandit. He's just a 
yeah. gunslinger out for revenge. All right. Awards. Beatrice Strait Award, actor, actress, limited scenes, it kills it. Limited scenes. Okay. Um, how are we how are we breaking this down? Um I feel like none of the people in the stagecoach count. Okay. As Beatrice Strait. Um in that case, let me let me look at I wanna I wanna give this guy credit. In that case, my vote is for uh The innkeeper, is that who you're going with? Yeah. Is it Chris Penn Martin? is his name he plays chris yes yeah chris yep that's who i pick i I really like that moment he has with ringo in the in the hallway yes man made over 100 films from 1925 1953 wow he particularly was a sidekick in the cisco kid film series yeah he's good the innkeeper said i mean that the they're they're kind of like their stops along the way are always always good and mm-hmm. always kind of like add to the tension within this within the story. Kid, I know why you want to go to Losburg. I like you. I know you pop. She was a good friend of mine. If you know who in Losburg, you stay away, I think. You mean Luke Plummer? Luke, I can hang all day together. I saw them. Sure that, Chris? Sure. I can tell you the truth. I know. Thanks. That's all I wanted to know. Say, you crazy if you go. I think you stay awake here. Tia gives one. It's no good. All right. Uh, Annie Potts X Factor Award. Uh, actor, actress, uh, and supporting role that is the most memorable. Um, I think it's Thomas Mitchell. It's Thomas Mitchell, too. Yeah. I think, I think he, I don't say steals the movie. But I think performance-wise, he's probably the most most memorable performance. Yeah. O- outside of I mean, John Wayne's establishing or whatever, uh, I think acting-wise, I think Mitchell is is fantastic in the movie and has kind of a great arc. Yeah, it's a great character, and, and he brings life to it perfectly. Yeah, yeah so I think he... And, and it's also like, I feel like another two why he wins the Oscar that year is like, the man was in three different... Oh, I'm sorry. Really, five movies that year, and gives a great performance in all of them. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing. It's just it feels like, you know, it, it could be argued that it's like a, a a year achievement, like a kind of a combined achievement award for that. It, it's just that he's great in all of them. Mm-hmm. This thing, so kind of it kind of makes sense. Is this the face that wrecked a thousand ships and burned the towerless tops of Ilium? Farewell, uh, Helen. Doc, Doc, can they make me leave town when I don't want to go? Do I have to now, go? Now, Dallas, don't you go making no fuss. Do I have to go, doctors, because they say so? Now, Dallas, I've got my orders. Don't blame these ladies. It ain't them. It is them. Doc, haven't I any right to live? What have I done? We're the victims of a foul disease called social prejudice, my child. These dear ladies of the Law and Order League are scouring out the dregs of the town. Come on. They are proud, glorified dreg like me. You get going, Doc. You're drunk. <laughs> two of the kind. Just two of the kind. Take my arm, Madame la Comtesse. The tumbril awaits for the guillotine. Uh, finally, the Gene Hackman MVP award, person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. That's a real tough one. I, I don't think it is. It's either Ford or Wayne. 
I think it's Ford. I, I I think it's Ford too, but I think you know I think it's it's career making for the both of them. It's career making. For, well, uh, Ford's already made a career at this point. That's the thing you got to take into yeah. account. So I mean, you could argue that it's more important for Wayne. It's, it's genre defining on 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 Ford's on half Ford's instead part. of career. Yes, making. Yes. yeah, it's cre- yeah. Um, and Ford again, you, he's a guy who's literally betting the house on John Wayne. Mm-hmm. And that's like, it's like, like picture this movie fails. And what happens? John Wayne probably keeps making B movie Westerns, but Ford takes a financial hit and probably is looked down upon within the Hollywood industry for, Mm -hmm. for banking it all on John Wayne. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's for, I want to bring up this though, because we haven't really talked about her thoughts on Claire Trevor in this role as Dallas. I think she's great. I think she's great. Cause because uh, Louise Platt said that it's actually he thinks she thinks she thought it was always Trevor's movie. Even in the end, after watching it, she, like she gives the best performance in it. She she's definitely. I think I think she and and Doc are the the heart of this movie. Yeah. Um, I think they're both the most complex characters, and um, but it's, it's Thomas Mitchell a little bit for me. But yeah, she's mm-hmm. she's fantastic in it. I think it. I think it's so interesting in this movie that like the the two of them they they do have you know they have arcs that but but they're from the beginning they're they're the ones who the movie thinks has to change the least everyone else yeah needs to change and and yeah. the two of them are it the, it's more like society needs to change for them although they they mm-hmm. both do change for sure by the end yeah yeah but yeah but no but I think Ford is the one who who takes it I think yeah. just based off like how he pushes the medium and pushes the genre mm-hmm. questionable of his tactics for dealing with male stars. Interesting enough, not female stars, but male stars mm-hmm. of like essentially testing their masculinity. If you get in the stories as I'm giving this award to John Ford, if you get in the stories of like how he treated John Wayne on, they were expendable. It's kind of like depressing because mm-hmm. like John Wayne, one of John Wayne's biggest, um, uh, regrets in his life is that he didn't fight in world war two because he's a little bit older and um they say that's the reason why he became quote-unquote super patriotic in his later years because he always felt guilty he didn't fight in the war mm-hmm. and paid, paid to a point where it was a troublesome of how patriotic he got and 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 his views with everything um but apparent i feel like i read that like ford would like basically to get under his skin uh um on their next movie would basically like make fun of Wayne for not fighting in the war for not oh, being wow. man enough to fight in the war. And apparently that frustrated Wayne a lot. I gotta go to Lordsburg. Why don't you go to my ranch and wait for me? Wait for a dead man. Haven't got a chance. It was three against one when the plumber swore that you killed their foreman. Got just sent up. It'll be three against one in Lordsburg. Well, there's some things a man just can't run away from. How can you talk about your life and my life when you're throwing them away? Yeah, mine too. That's what you're throwing away if you go to Lordsburg. What do you want me to do? Would it make us any happier if Luke Plummer was dead? One of his brothers would be after you with a gun. We'd never be safe. I don't want that kind of life, Ringo. Well, I don't see what else I can do. Go now. Get away. Forget Lordsburg. Forget the plumbers. Make for the border and I'll come to you. Do you mean that? Yes, I do. Will you go with me, Dallas? 
Oh, I can't leave Mrs. Mallory and the baby. I'll come to you from Lloydsburg. I swear it. Final questions. If this film was remade today, who would you cast? <laughs> All right. Are we, do, are we doing the whole stagecoach? We're doing everybody? The whole stagecoach. <laughs> yes. If we can do the whole stagecoach. Okay. All right. Let's let me see who, who do you want to start who, who who all do you have i've got i can do the whole stage coach i got it okay so, so you you got the 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 whiskey guy the guy peacock? Who makes the, or the Re- reverend yeah, peacock. peacock reverend peacock yeah <laughs> uh larry david <laughs> okay uh that okay that's interesting i'm just trying to picture larry david in a western is the thing oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i you'd be great um what about the embezzling the the bank embezzler uh, oh Henry no Gatewood. i forgot the bank embezzler okay give me give me a second um we can come back to him are we just going i'm just going whoever i can you know first choice yeah first it's, a, it's a small role for him but i'm I'm seeing when i yeah. close my eyes i'm seeing john lithgow i okay i'm down with that john lithgow's as uh, henry gatewood okay and then you have uh um larry davis Samuel peacock okay do you have curly curly um I think I had Idris Elba for Curly. Okay. Just did. That, he just just did a Western yeah, recently, yeah. and I you probably got you got beef that roll up a little bit. Yeah. To get a good kind of like. Uh, uh, I thought about him uh, for Ringo, but he's, he's he's a little too old. He's a good foil for Ringo, though. Um, he's kind of like father figure. Okay. Uh, uh, Lucy Mallory. This Mallory, I had Amanda Seyfried. Good pick. I like that pick. She just see. I I thought about her for Dallas, but she seems a little more. You know, I could I could see her being yeah. more like put off by by the west yeah. and everything and then to go with maori uh hatfield here's the i just i can't get it at, tarantino already did it but i can't get walton goggins out of my head um that's not a bad one he, he already played a former confederate in in hateful eight but for some for some reason when you said amanda seafried I, I thought ethan hawk is hatfield oh okay you know he's kind of played a lot of cowboy roles of late yeah that's true i could definitely um, see that so, but what we can do, we can do Walton Goggins. I'm fine with Walton Goggins. We could we could we could Ethan Hawke can can be uh. I'd, I actually I would love an Ethan Hawke Doc Boone. Okay, I was thinking Doc Boone too, but I didn't want to jump ahead and and yeah. and, and knock out whoever Let's you had cast no, Doc Boone. That's I, I throw mine out. That's it. Yeah. Who'd you have in Doc Boone? I'm, I'm, I'm not. This, that's that's <laughs> so much better. Yeah. No, that's perfect. That's exactly who I want for the heart of this okay, movie. So Ethan Hawke Doc Boone um walton goggins hatfield who, who do you have as buck um for buck i'm a big paul walter hauser guy this feels like a the great paul walter hauser <laughs> role would be he would be great in this oh man that's perfect um okay uh we'll go mm, who should we do we'll go dallas dallas you know, is, dallas is a tough one yeah you know, she's top built but i think ringo kid i think the only reason why john wayne does not get top billed because he is not a star at this point in time <laughs> i um i was i was a little swayed by a a, a recent one but I'm, I'm really thinking kirsten dunst Ooh, i like that big i'm a big kirsten dunst guy yeah no, uh, i love my, kirsten dunst. my 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 other choice was gonna be jesse buckley oh i do love jesse buckley though dunst makes more sense for like uh well, it depend- well, well okay I will not say who I want yet. Who is your Ringo kid? And that might determine Dunce or, or, or Buck. I, I, I love this kid. He's he's disappeared on us past couple of years, but Alden Ehrenreich. I'm a big Alden Ehrenreich guy. <laughs> <Thomas>. <laughs> oh, 
Oh man, you keep you keep putting. I mean, gosh, it's 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 you're trying to make career for Enric and. Uh, I, have, I have not brought him up in a while. <laughs> I I could have sworn he brought him up recently, Thomas. It's, I, I think it's been a, I think it's been a hot minute. But uh, okay, Enric, I think you gotta go. Think I got? You think we gotta go older? I would say I would say I would say there. Buckley and her are the same age, but I almost said Kirsten Dunst is the thing. Well, here's a question. Do you see her as like someone who runs a brothel or is just a prostitute? I mean, it definitely seemed like she was a prostitute of note that they were, you know, running her okay. out of the town. And she's got she's got a nice dress. Like, yeah, I think she was a well, well established sex worker for sure. Okay. Then I would probably say Dunst is the thing. I know that yeah. sounds terrible how, how we're trying to divide this up. Nice. Well, I'm trying to think like. How long has she been this town or whatever? Has she traveled around or something? I I don't know. It's like it feels it feels to me it feels like she's been in the town. Like she's she is genuinely distraught to be leaving that town. Like it feels like her home. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, let's see. Trevor was, God, she was twenty nine in that role. We'll go with Dunce. So Dunce and Enric. I just can't believe you're, you're putting on Aaron Rick as John Wayne. Um, <laughs> Who who would you have? Who would you have for that? It's a great question, Thomas. It's a great question. Should I say Glenn Powell just to really throw things for you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um who would I put? I mean, I just run through my top three and, and throw um and throw White Russell in there, but Man, White Russell would be pretty good though, Thomas. <laughs> White Russell would be pretty good. <laughs> we haven't gotten a Sebastian Stan Western yet. I feel like he'd look good in a in a western you know what scratch sebastian stan that's my pick all right i back that's that. my pick i'm sorry i'm, I'm throwing out your alden Enric, aaron rick for sebastian stan <laughs> they have similar face facial like thing you know what i mean they mm-hmm, have they mm-hmm. have like they have a similar look okay that's my one my one addition and ethan hawk those are my two additions yep. to this all cast. Right, i like that <laughs> those two it's collaborative process all right it's a good cast i like this cast um now does this film fit with any other genres thomas um I mean, I, I I think you're definitely if you if you just call it a western, you're missing out on this idea of like this like ensemble drama. So yeah. I don't know if that's that's a that's a big genre, but but the idea yeah. of like all these people are kind of on the same, all these characters are kind of on the same level, and they've all got arcs and they've all got lessons to learn, and they're all yeah. going to do it together. Like that's yeah. that's not you don't see that a lot in the western, even after this movie kind of establishes what the genre is going to be for the next hundred years. Um, yeah. No one really replicates this format again. No. Or at least, you know, they tried obviously, but um, not none of the iconic Westerns that came afterwards were able to do something, this kind of structure to it. So, so yeah, I yeah. think kind of that's what's unique to this one is it is a Western, but it is also this ensemble drama. Yeah, I mean, you have you have certain the kind of stagecoach movies like Great Silence or I mean, Hateful Eight to an extent is kind of kind of that, mm-hmm. uh, but Stagecoach is kind of the grand granddaddy um, of them all, uh, and it has that. I would also argue it's a road trip movie. Yeah, they're going from place to place. Um, is there any other thing I would say it as is the question? Cause it's not, there's no, it's, I mean, there, there is, there is like the, 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 the shootout and the battle, but it's not really a war movie of any kind. Mm-mm. 
Um, so yeah, I think I think it's a road trip movie. It's kind of like the ensemble piece. Um, so yeah, post war movie, I guess you'd say. Um, all right, how does this film fit within the western genre? It's like you said, it's the granddaddy. Yeah, I think it it definitely like we've said legitimized the genre. Mm-hmm. And anything that came after it, whether it was ones that Ford made or ones that had Wayne in it or was just using Monument Valley, like every Western that comes after it owes something to yeah. Stagecoach. Yeah, I agree. By the way, it, it takes archetypes. It's interesting. It takes archetypes and and uh, changes them in a way, but essentially creates more archetypes in the process like uh for later westerns mm-hmm. it establishes the stereotypes and the cliches of the genre for good or bad um and it becomes this influential and impactful not just western but film of the era essentially making because in 39 you start to see a little bit more prestige movies bigger like a pictures becoming westerns again but this is coming out again at the beginning of the year and because movies are shot so fast at this point, that's probably a reason why they, these movies become such big pictures uh, in a post-stagecoach world. Mm. Um, but it has the tropes, has the outlaws, it has the the gambler, the banker, the the the, the crooked banker, um, and the kind of Western ideals that that become part of the genre. So yeah, I think that's it on on stagecoach thomas any last words on that i think we kind of got a it uh, it's a great start we got a big month great coming start. up great start for the month and speaking of that the next next episode what are we doing thomas uh for the next episode we're gonna we we we, we talked about the granddaddy of westerns and now we're gonna do yeah. a a western that kind of tried to tried to wrap up the genre really tried to tried to kill the genre <laughs> and uh, that's that's uh the wild bunch yeah. So if if it's not one you haven't seen if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. Uh it's one that was famous for uh tales of people uh running out of the theater vomiting because it was so violent. Oh, wow. So it's gonna be a blast. And see, I haven't seen this movie, guys, so this I'll I'll be coming in fresh with this. So I know nothing about I mean I know people who are in it, but I don't know much about it uh or the story. So Thomas plays I mean, it's a learning month for me because several of the movies we're talking about this month, I have never seen before we're gonna be doing this or doing wild bunch we're gonna be doing um jeremiah johnson we're gonna be doing good bad and the ugly and we're gonna be doing uh true grit the remake of true grit um to end the month so it's a it's a big big uh uh kind of in-depth look at the 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 different lives of the western genre so i'm excited to see that what was supposed to be the death kneel of the western genre next week with wild bunch Mm -hmm. uh and seeing how we go from there that's all we have for you on this episode. If you're a fan of the show or a new listener, make sure you subscribe to Sin Nation Podcast so that you can stay up to date on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you write us a review on the whatever platform you listen to the show on. You know, this this movie, the message of this movie might be that we don't need society, but what we do need are reviews on your favorite <laughs> podcast platform. Uh, so, you know. If, if you're out in the middle on your ranch in the middle of nowhere and you don't have anyone to to recommend the podcast to then you can just hop online and leave, leave a review and it's basically the same thing as as recommending it to someone if you finish watching all of yellowstone and need something to do tell us what you think of the show <laughs> of our show um and finally don't forget to like follow us on facebook twitter instagram tiktok all that jazz uh as always thomas thank you for joining me thank you for having me and thank you all for listening hope you listen to more episodes soon bye